Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. I'm going to start a new series, and that series is titled Intentional Conversations. If you guys aren't aware... Um, it, and you're probably not because I don't know that I've ever just stated it, but I try to do at least one, at least one focused prayer series every year to where we exclusively talk about the necessity of prayer. And you guys have heard, I, I, I start probably every series with this quote, you're, you're, you lack where your prayer life lacks. And so we need to understand the importance of prayer, the beauty of prayer, the intimacy of prayer. So many things because God desires to have a relationship with us. Amen? Amen. Unfortunately, people don't pray. I'm going to tell it like it is. Even the people of God don't pray. And it should sadden us because one of the most glorious privileges that we have, we don't take advantage of the way that we should and a privilege to come into the throne room of grace and receive from the creator God of the universe those things we ask him according to his will. Man, we're missing out. We have to understand who we are, why God came, what he did, so that we can feel comfortable in that prayer space. And that's what I want to talk to you about during this time. This next four weeks, I'm going to talk to you about intentional conversations and you're, I know you may be thinking, well, it shouldn't be called intentional prayer. Well, maybe, but it's not. Here's why. Because most of us don't pray because we have an excuse for not praying. We say, man, I don't, I don't know what words to say. I don't know what posture to take. I don't, I don't know this, 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 or this. Or what if I do it wrong? Or there's a, what if I look stupid? I mean, can I tell you the first time I prayed in public? Uh, I was at a men's breakfast. And a guy, there's like 40 guys there, and we were preparing breakfast, and all the team that was preparing breakfast, we were about to start receiving people. And the guy that was leading the team pulls us into the kitchen and says, hey, we're going to have a time of prayer over this service and this time together. I said, cool, right on. You know, I'd heard a bunch of people pray. It seemed it was cool, you know. And so we get in a circle, and he, he grabs my hand. He goes, all right, Jim, you pray. I was all. <laughs> what? He said, you pray, you got it. And honest to goodness, this is what it sounded like. Dear Lord, the, the breakfast in this place for the guys, thank you. Amen. <laughs> and man, that short sentence, man, I, I was sweating through my shirt. I was, I was freaked out because I knew I, I didn't sound like my pastor sounded. I didn't sound like the guy that asked me to pray sounded. I, don't, I didn't sound like anybody because I'd never done it out loud and because I, I'm not my pastor. And this is what I want you to get a hold of. I'm not my pastor. I'm not the guy that asked me to pray. I'm not Leonard. I'm not D.W. 
I'm not any of the people in this room or any other room I'm standing in. I am who God created me to be, and so I'm going to walk and talk and act differently according to my gifting than those people. It doesn't mean that my prayer is wrong. It just means that my prayer may sound differently. I have, I, I've, I've heard people pray, a bunch of them. And I'll tell you, if you've never heard Pastor Leonard pray, you've never been to church here. But <laughs> Pastor Leonard is what I would call a kind of a, and I don't take this the wrong way, he's an old school Pentecostal, lay it down, full faith, no uncertainty prayer warrior. He's like, I. this is what it is. This is what your word says it is. I'm not sure why it's anything other than what it is, but make it right, Lord. We have faith in you and we trust you. And then he says a bunch of other cool stuff too, right? But then you hear Pastor Rick pray. And Pastor Rick comes up here and he's, and he's because of his nature and his spirit, he's very, he's very intimate. And he, he always starts out soft. And, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. And I, I got another guy, buddy of mine, that I learned to pray watching. His name was Marty Cooper. Marty Cooper, a very robust fella. Uh, but he was super excited. He was, he was a, a Holy Ghost pastor. Like he was just, he just, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Right? And he, and he would say it so loudly that he'd get that inflection at the end. Bring down the fire. Or however they do it. I can't even do it. But when you knew he was praying, you knew something was about to change. So I say all that kind of in, not in jest, really. It's just that's how people talk to God. So when I say I don't pray because I don't sound like anybody else sounds, praise God for your uniqueness. Praise God that he's put the same spirit in you, but a different voice. Imagine if everybody on earth said the same thing to God over and over again. God wants to hear the, the, the overflowing joy of the vast nature of his people. You know, we all have different personalities. We all have different experiences. I can imagine just sitting on a throne, just listening to all of my people bubble up with the excitement and the experiences that they have, the joys, even the things that frighten them that they have because they're all different. It's that, oh, uh, I know that voice. You know, I could, I could be in a room of... 2,000 people, and my wife will scream, and I know her voice. She doesn't have to say Jim. She doesn't have to talk. I just know her voice. So I picture God at the throne, and he's like, oh, there's, oh, there's Bill Wolfenberger's voice. Oh, there's Danny's voice. And he loves to hear your voice. Amen? So let's throw those excuses in the trash. I want to destroy one more excuse that we use before we start. And that is shame. God, you don't, you don't know what I've done. I, I don't deserve to get to, to get to talk to God. My sin is too big. 
My family won't even talk to me. My family has disowned me. My children won't talk to me. You know what? God saw that stuff when it happened. He sent his son Jesus to die for you knowing you would do that before that happened. And you know what he wants from you? He just wants you to come to him. Because that which you feel shame over, Jesus shed his blood for so that you could stand boldly and confidently in the throne room of grace expecting to receive mercy. There is nothing that you've done that is unforgivable. There is nothing that you've done that the blood of Jesus doesn't cover. Do you hear me? People, we got to start walking boldly and confidently according to the word of God. If God thought his son was enough to cause me to be enough to have a conversation with him, then it's time I start having conversations with him. And those conversations intentionally. Amen? So here's what I want to do over the next few weeks. I'm going to talk about intentional conversations, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to approach this series like, like historically people would approach a series like this where they isolate different prayers in the Bible. I have found conversations in the Gospels that Jesus was having with regular people. Uh, for example, or, uh, Zacchaeus. Jesus had an intentional conversation with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus repented and was brought to wholeness. Did you know that conversation was a prayer? Because who was he talking to? He was talking to Jesus, fully God. Sometimes you just have a conversation with Jesus or with God through Jesus. Amen? What I'm trying to do is I, I want to I demystify prayer for you if it's possible. And just say, you can too. You can too. And you should. I'll tell you, your life is going to be so much more joyful in prayer. If I had to keep all the mess that I am bottled up, I'd be a mess. <laughs> but God created opportunity where I didn't have to. And so here we are. I want to talk to you about intentional prayer. And I'm going to start with the conversation that I think is most, one of the most significant conversations Jesus has in regard to prayer specifically. And I'm going to do this in two parts, just so you know, there's too much content to cover it today, but I'm going to find a good closing point. And we're going to cover the other half of it next week. But I've titled this, Can You Teach Us? And here's why. In Luke 11, 1 and 2, we read as Jesus' disciples come up to him and says, It had happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Did y'all catch that? They knew that Jesus was a person of prayer. They not only knew Jesus was a person of prayer, but that John, that is John the Baptist, taught his disciples to pray. And so they ask him, hey, we've watched John teach his guys. We know you're a person of prayer. Would you teach us like John teaches them? And of course, the answer is absolutely. Sure, I will. And he does. 
And this is where we get the Lord's Prayer. I want to tell you something. It's going to mess you all up a little bit. This ain't a prayer. The Lord's Prayer, what we've, had, what we've called the Lord's Prayer, we all got a plaque at home with the Lord's Prayer on it. This is a conversation. Jesus isn't praying here. He's teaching them to pray. And so why do I say that? I say that because it's okay to repeat this prayer or this conversation if you want to. A lot of people say the Lord's Prayer as a prayer. That's fine. But just know it is a conversation in context to the Scripture. He is saying this is a model by which you should pray. I want you to hang your prayers on this model. Now, I'm going to give you the elements of prayer. And then you, because everybody's situation is different, are going to hang your requests on this model. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? And so just know, and that's what I hope to do today, I hope to dissect the model, the framework by which we hang our personal prayers on. And so with that being said, let me read this to you. It says that when you are praying, verse 7, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. I'm in Matthew chapter 6. I don't know if I told you that. Uh, just because it contains the whole of the, the teaching. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so He's saying, man, don't, don't just be praying to be praying. I'm going to teach you a model of prayer, but if you're just praying to be praying, just don't do it. It's not worth it. You're wasting your time and mine. Amen? He said, make sure that you're intimately praying. And then he says, so do, so, and then in verse 9 he says, pray then in this way, according to this manner. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And everybody says amen. All right. So I told you I'm going to do this in two lessons. And I'm going to do 9 and 10 today. Because in 9 and 10, we're setting the stage for who God is in our life, who we are. And we haven't asked God for anything. It's not until verse 11 that we begin to make petition of God. So Jesus says, hey, before we, before we make petition of God, maybe we should declare who God is first. Amen? And so he says this, he says, our father who is in heaven, let me give you point number one, the Lord's prayer displays God's proper place. The Lord's prayer displays God's proper place. And let me tell you what I mean by that. In verse nine, it says like this, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Lord's prayer establishes paternity. 
These first two words tell us two very important things. Tells us who can pray and tells us the privileges of access for those who can pray. Who can pray? This first word, we don't pay it any attention because it's just a word in passing. But we need to pay attention that the, the Lord's prayer, this conversation that he's having, starts with our. He's not some miscellaneous God out here. He's not some false idea of a God out here. He's not impowerful. He's not impotent. He is our God, the creator of the universe according to the word of God, and he is ours. Ours is an identifier. Do y'all understand that? So if I was to say this is our church, would I be right? Yes, this is our church. We've identified this church as belonging to us. Angela and I have our house. We've identified our house as belonging to us. Our grandkids, we've identified them as belonging to us. But you know what you do when you say our? You exclude. Because you know whose house ain't mine? DW's house ain't mine. Your house ain't mine. But ours says that there is no such thing as a universalist God. We intentionally, God intentionally excludes those who don't declare lordship of Jesus Christ. People are, I don't like Christianity because it's, it's, too, it's too exclusive. It excludes everybody. It does. Because, you know, you got to declare Jesus Christ as Lord, believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead for him to belong to you. And if you don't do that, then you're excluded from all the promises that are offered to you, including salvation and eternal life. Here's the thing, though. Once you do that, then what was exclusive becomes inclusive. So when somebody says, I don't like that religion, I don't like Christianity because it's exclusive, just tell them, say, it's because it's not yours, it's ours. But let me show you how to make it yours, too. Amen? Isn't that good? <laughs> that is good. I, that makes me happy because Jesus Christ made that possible for us. So who can call? Anyone who has declared the name of Jesus because according to the scripture, there is no name in the heavens or the earth by which any other name by which a man can be saved. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is ours. Amen? And we are his. That's good. So when I'm praying, I'll be like, God, thank you for the privilege of belonging to you. Thank you for the privilege of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, applied to my life, that I may belong to you, that we may belong to you. You see how this is a model. It's not a prayer. But we got to know what words mean. Words matter. The world, the world right now will tell you that they don't, but they absolutely do. Amen. And so he says, our, and then he establishes paternity. Our Father. God has moved us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, and now is our Father. The word Father there is Abba, which is the, the greatest Father word for intimacy in the Hebrew language. 
we would call it daddy. Now, it freaks me out. I got to be honest with you. When I hear people say, daddy God, I don't know why it just does. It just seems irreverent to me. I just don't like it. Uh, but, I mean, it's that level of intimacy. And so our intimate father desires to have a relationship with us. I told the last service my grandson was in here, and I said, because of our level of intimacy, because of the intimacy we share with God, it's, it's similar to what I share with my grandson. If my grandson comes into my office and I've got anything going on, I don't care if I've got 10 more hours worth of work to do, I'm sitting with somebody, it doesn't matter what's happening. If that boy comes in at two years old and says, hey, Papa, and then jumps in my lap, guess what? That's where he's going to stay. We'll still handle our business. He's not going to know to tell anybody your business. I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing in regard to where I'm going to pay attention to that kid. You know why? Because he's ours. And you are his. Amen? And so stop running from God. Crawl up in his lap. I promise he's going to stop doing whatever it is he was doing long enough to pay attention to your request, your problem, your issue, and then love you through it. Everybody all right? That is so good. Because we have the privilege of that. But it doesn't just offer privilege. It offers position. Jesus wants us to be aware when he says, Our Father, who art in heaven. So it establishes his position. Get your head around this. Y'all better realize God's God and you ain't. This silent pause on purpose. Because some of us need to get past our crusty old hearts. Where we be judging everybody like our judgment matters. God's God, we ain't. Our Father is in heaven. We're on earth. He has a greater perspective because he's transcendent above us. He's able to, praise God, hold us by his righteous right hand and raise us again above the issues of life because he's transcendent, because he's capable, because he's able. I watched a, I saw a picture some years ago of a satellite they sent out into space and the satellite image had a little bitty white dot on it. And they tell it at the bottom that that's earth <coughs> from wherever this satellite image was taken. I was like, okay, yeah, it looks like a speck of dust to me. But that perspective is small in regard to the perspective God has. And yet he cares enough about you to know the number of hairs on your head, to have your name engraved in the palm of his hand. He's in heaven he hears you. He sees you. He desires great things for you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. <coughs> so when I say, who art in heaven, I'm going to thank you, Lord, for watching over me. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being the creator, for having the perspective. To, you can offer me the wisdom that I might, too, have perspective in regard to this problem that I'm having. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you, because you were above all things, raise me up above these problems. Y'all see how this is becoming a hanger for my prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. That's so good. You know why it's so good? Because God is so good. And then he ends on this, or this, this piece anyway. 
hallowed be your name. Let me tell you what. Before you expect to receive anything from God, you better realize who you're talking to. I think one of the number one problems in the American church today is we have gotten a flippant attitude about a holy God. Did you know that God killed generations upon generations upon generations of people in the Old Testament? That he sent fire down, that he destroyed masses and masses of people because they they did not pay attention to his holiness, that if you were a priest and you walked into the Holy of Holies and you had sin in your life, you would drop dead as a hammer right there? Did you know that? And you're all, well, as, you know, we live in a dispensation of grace right now. I don't have to worry about that. Let me tell you what, you're still going to have to worry about that at some point because we still serve the same God. God hasn't changed. He's just changed the way he deals with you for now. Put some respect in your mouth. I don't care what your prayer sounds like, but you better act like you got some sense. Everybody all right? I mean, I've heard people cuss when they pray. I've heard people, I don't know what's worse, cussing when you pray or asking for forgiveness flippantly. I think it's both an affront to God. When you go, oh yeah, sorry about that guy. He's all, sorry about that. I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you. Have you lost your mind talking to me crazy? We wouldn't treat an earthly king like that, but we're going to treat the king of kings like that, the alpha, the omega like that, the beginning and the end like that? Not today, because his name is hallowed, sacred, and should be set apart in our hearts. Amen? Amen? So sometimes we ought to pray, Lord, show me your holiness that I might be in true fear of it. I preached a sermon series some years, some years ago called Fear, the Cure for Anxiety. If you fear God enough, you're going to realize the God that you serve, and ain't nothing going to make you nervous. But you better get it right. You got to understand who God is. I'm just talking about reverence, guys. I'm talking about, please, can we get back to a place when we come into the church house? We come to the church house prepared. We come to our knees prepared. We come to, if you're sitting in your car praying, go in prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared. Did you know God is surrounded by myriads and myriads and myriads of angels, all declaring his majesty and holiness and beauty? over and over and over again since the beginning of time and now throughout eternity and then you come up in there acting all crazy? We could do better. I think we could do better, don't you? I do too. All right. So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. What does that mean? I mean, you got some, you got some responsibilities. When it, when the Bible says your kingdom come, you know how God's kingdom comes. In to first two, in to and through you. That's how the kingdom of God comes. When I declare the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God comes. When someone gives their life to the Lord. The kingdom of God comes. What we're praying is that the perfect kingdom of heaven exists here on earth. And you know how that happens? When the hearts of men are changed.
ultimately, in the new heavens and the new earth, that will be a physical thing. But for now, it's our job to multiply ourselves so that the kingdom of come, the kingdom come might be actionable in our own life. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? Miss Dawn, imagine if you could for a second, you go in and you decide, God, let your kingdom come in me today. God, give me one person to talk to today. Give me one person to see that nobody else is seeing today. And then, you guess what? God's going to make that happen because it's according to his will. And then you see them, and then you go talk to them. And then that person gets saved. And then you do the same thing tomorrow. Now they do the same thing tomorrow, and they go tell two people. And then those four people go tell eight people. And then those eight people go tell 20 people. Those 20 people go tell 100 people. You ever wonder how 11 people turn the world upside down? That's how they did it. Because they woke up in the morning and said, God, let your kingdom come in me according to your will. You know what his will is? That every man be saved. You don't have to search for God's will, although it's here. I mean, the intricacies of God's will are here. But let me tell you what the, what the actual Bible says about the will of God. It says this. John 6:40 My father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him that's S O N don't get freaked out and weird on me and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day That's God's will Amen So when I say thy kingdom come thy will be done I should say God let your kingdom come in me today according to your will. Let me declare the fact that your son, Jesus Christ, died for me and that whoever I came into contact with, he died for them too. Teach me, Lord, by the power of your spirit, what to say, when to say it, and how to say it in a way that whatever is said takes root, even if I don't get to harvest the fruit of it. Lord God, don't let your word return void. That's what that prayer looks like. And I think that's God's will for every, every man, according to the word of God.